Hello there. Welcome to the Africa Rights Talk Podcast, a center for human rights podcast series exploring a range of human rights issues through conversations with academics, practitioners, and activists. I am your host, Victoria Amici. Let's dive in. today's episode of the Center for Human Rights podcast series of Africa Rights Talk here where we discuss like issues regarding human rights, women's rights, children's rights, migrants' rights, refugee rights and, and I'm very privileged to be able to lead on this podcast. Welcome to this episode. I read up about you a bit. You're a lawyer, you're an advocate, you're a writer, you're an entrepreneur. I'm not sure if I'm covering everything so I'd like you to introduce yourself. Who is Andrew Liu and Hannah from from pronouncing it right? And the kind of work that you do, what you what is it that you do currently you're passionate about and why we're here today? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Um, an honor to be here. Um, yeah, my my background um is as an entrepreneur, lawyer, and author, uh, primarily focused on how to create opportunity for folks who are most dis- disadvantaged or disconnected and how to ensure that they're treated and portrayed with dignity. Uh, and so a lot of that recently has been a couple of social entrepreneurship ventures. I've done one called Mona that uh, uh, invests in and supports underrepresented entrepreneurs around the world who um, have consumer brands. Um, so part of that is a gifting venture that we provide um, gifts for corporations that are curated and sourced from small business entrepreneurs around the world from primarily women, immigrant, refugee backgrounds. Um, and then something called DreamX America, which was a film and is a uh, ongoing lo- zero interest loan program in the U.S. Um, to help first gen immigrant and refugee entrepreneurs, um, which was particularly important during the pandemic. Um, yeah. And then writing and kind of teaching and other things um, all focused on that same kind of goal of uh, creating opportunity uh, and ensuring folks are treated with dignity and respect. That's brilliant. Thank you for the work that you do. You wrote a book in 2022 and also before the book was published, you received awards for the book and it got very good reviews saying it's a very powerful story of hope. It's it's like humanity at its best if you read it. Can you give us um, insights into this book and why are people describing this book like this? What is this about this book? <laughs> yeah, such like a powerful story of hope and yeah, yeah. It's really, um, it's really about the people that I think are featured. Um, so basically, the overview of the book is it's called Twenty Five Million Sparks. Um, as you mentioned, it talks about um, refugee entrepreneurs all around the world uh, in like twenty camps or cities uh, around the world, and it focuses um, in particular on um, three women who live in the Zetri camp in Jordan: Esma, Melek, and Yasmina. Uh, and they um, are all kind of, they all fled from Syria, live in Zetri, uh, and have uh, made a massive impact on their communities through entrepreneurship. So Esma is a storyteller and educator. Melek is an artist, and Yasmina is a um, wedding shop and salon owner. And so through kind of the lens of their story, it zooms out to refugee entrepreneurs all around the world and kind of is aims to send the message that Refugees are not um, what they're often portrayed as in the media as either victims or villains. They're actually some of the most inspiring, powerful, brave people 
in the entire world um, and their assets to their community economically in a big, big way. But even if they weren't, it's our moral kind of duty to welcome and um, support those who are fleeing violence. And so, um, yeah, I think the reason maybe um, for these types of reviews is just that the people that are featured. So um, we can talk more on it, but um, their stories, you know, I, I aim to kind of tell their stories through their lens. So um, I kind of set the stage and then use their a lot of heavy on their quotes and kind of oral histories. And so I think just readers hopefully get to see that voice and that story. And um, it's, it's, I'm sure very inspiring because I know it inspired me very much. Thank you for the response. I was wondering what is the inspiration for this book? I mean, people will get to read it and it's like you mentioned, it's about three women, refugee women who have fled. It's like their poems of conflict and they've gone to um, Jordan to seek refuge and also became successful, I think, in the, in the fields. Why is this about women? Why didn't you focus on yourself or even some male figure, like a man figure? Mm -hmm. why, why was it women that you had to focus on? Are they the reason why you were successful? Or, mm -hmm. yeah, what's the, the reason for? Yeah, it's a good question. I think when I started um, writing it, uh, it was, you know, a lot of the people I feature outside of the three uh, main folks are, are men. And so I think it was it was never really intentional. Uh, but then I think uh, when I visited the Zetri camp and spoke to different people, um, their three stories were, you know, I felt the most kind of connected to. And it was probably the most um, compelling and, and different from each other. And I think part of it is the fact that they're women in the sense that um, refugees already are facing the most immense obstacles, language, trauma, um, sometimes death of their families, sometimes big injuries. Um, lack of access to capital, lack of capital in general. Um, but then women also face like an, a whole, you know, additional, you know, set of barriers um, that I came to kind of learn and, and more about from Esma Malik and Yasmina. And so I think to some degree, um, it's not a coincidence because the fact that they had to overcome even more obstacles was even more inspiring. Um, and the kind of um, impact they made, those three people in particular, um, was so inspiring to, uh, to me. And so, um, yeah, I think in many ways, um, the inspiration is, is women and, um, and, uh, you know, for all refugees, it's, it's a, as I said, a huge obstacle, but for women, what they overcome and the strength that they create provide and the beauty that they, um, beauty and power and, and kind of confidence that they put into the community uh, is quite inspiring. So, uh, yeah, because um, women kind of like, they're more intersectional when it comes to like obstacles that they have to face and overcome, like being a woman, being a refugee, maybe even being African sometimes or being mm -hmm. a minority. So, yeah, I agree. But I also like there's a lot to learn from how women can overcome obstacles and be very resilient, even in very, in very, very hard times. Okay, thank mm. you for that. Um, this brings me to my next question. And writing about the very intricate stories about women, writing about very personal, probably very personal um, stories. Was there any challenges? Did you um, come across any obstacles to writing this book? Yeah, I think um, there were a few. I think some of it came down to how um, I would present the stories that they were told, because I, I feel like it's a very kind of sacred trust that they were willing to kind of share their stories very openly. Um, so one of them was, um, uh, one thing I say is like, uh, how do you distinguish the uh, beauty and the power of the people 
from the ugliness of the situation. And so, um, you know, the main kind of goal of the book was to not get mired in the victim kind of element of things. But at the same time, you also do want to share the the beginning of the story, which is, um, and, you know, we talk about um, the intersectionality and gender, you know, like what, you know, the things that um, Espa faced as a mother early on and um, facing, um, you know, uh, facing a miscarriage early on and some of the very deep things that um, she shared with me. How do you tell those things in a way that um, is honest and kind of gets talks about the the challenges and honors the challenges, but but moves quickly enough to where it's not just another story about, oh, like, you know, refugees have faced such difficulty and, you know, it doesn't end there. But then if it spends enough time on the um, the incredible courage and strength and creativity and leadership that they all provided. And so um, there was a bit of a tension there where I wanted to address the, the beginning part, but not um, dwell on it too much because that's already been dwelled on so much. And then the other part um, is, yeah, how do you tell their stories in a voice driven way? So um, I, you know, will never know, of course, what it's like to have been in a camp um, I never will never know what it's like to have been in their particular shoes in Syria, um, traveling to the camp, you know, putting all their bad stuff in trash bags in a truck in the case of Yasmina being pregnant while traveling in the case of Yasmina, um, you know, uh, in the case of Malek, you know, going from a really, really big house and comfortable life to a tent in a camp. Um, and so how do I, um, you know, there was a challenge in making sure that I felt, um, good about, um, the way I was just kind of laying the groundwork and then letting their voices do the, do the work. And so I shared the book with, um, you know, the draft with Malek, for example, and, and it was helpful to make sure that she felt the same way. Um, and so those were some ways I got around it. And then, you know, as you alluded to, even the, the interviews, of course, you know, it's very serious topics and personal topics. Um, it helped a lot to have some folks who work in the camp, um, uh, it saved the children, for example, Jordan, who, um, had relationships already, um, and could kind of vouch that this was going to be a story that honored them. Um, I could speak a little Arabic because my parents are from Egypt. So that helped in bridging a little bit, but it was, you know, I think having the, the colleagues who were, had the relationships was important too. And then, you know, I think it's really important when you're writing about other people to keep them updated and, and things like that. So to the extent that I could, um, you know, keeping that relationship and not just leaving after. People want to read this book. Um, I, I can see like, as person was going to read it. I'll send one to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to share with the yeah. center staff and the group, that group. So we can all like get to like read about this very inspiring book. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes, please do. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what would you want the readers and the audience that you're writing to, to take away from this book? Yeah, I think I would like people to take away the power, equal dignity and creativity of refugees. And so um, basically take whatever cloud of buzzwords or whatever they've heard in the media or from politicians that has affected their view of what a refugee is um, and turn it on its head, likely, depending on what their original view was, but turn it on its head to a point where they see that power, they see that that creativity, they see the value that they bring. Um, and then that, that turns into action locally and maybe brought, uh, further than that. And so, um, you know, maybe their opinions shift from, 
oh no, like we can't welcome asylum seekers or refugees because we have so many problems at home to the more accurate, I think, um, and the statistics show more accurate understanding, which is welcoming these folks and providing a little bit of support early on will make a big difference for everyone in the community. Um, and, uh, and so changing that from, oh, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, maybe I'll um, vote against this type of thing or, or be against this to, oh, actually, this is better for everybody. Let me support this. Um, you know, going from thinking, you know, maybe this isn't a moral issue, like it's complicated, you know, I don't want to weigh in on this to thinking, no, this is a moral issue of our time. And it would be a failure of our, of our country or our community to turn our backs on these people. Um, you know, going from maybe not contributing in any way, um, because you didn't know how to get started to, you know, go to your local community center, refugee welcoming center, depending on where you live, um, and donate if you have the resources or just donate your time, um, you know, maybe go to your faith community and, and figure out a way to help with language, uh, sessions or, or anything else, um, to help people get started, um, on their journeys. Um, so yeah, I think first starting with the heart and shifting the perspective, uh, and understanding the moral gravity of it. And then second, hopefully some action. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a moral issue of our time. Because if you look at the current climate towards refugees across the continent, across the world, it's it's appalling, like, especially in South Africa. So um, even currently, I don't know if you've watched the news of, of African news, like people being chased out of their homes, mm-hmm. on refugees here, they're stressing our economy, our healthcare system, our education mm-hmm. system. A lot of ignorant things are happening, a lot of violence happening towards um, refugees and migrants uh, across the world especially in South Africa. Mm. But this kind of current um, climate, this book kind of like gives a very, very important perspective on human rights, social justice, migrant issues, economic um, policies, um, even migration policy, the failure of it. Because I think the current South African policy on migration and refugee policy, I don't think it's humanistic enough to address mm-hmm. like changing, you know, rhetorics, changing mindset, changing um attitudes towards um, migrants and refugees. Yeah. Do we say, even, even tomorrow is World Refugee Day, I don't know if you're aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> with, the, with the United Nations tomorrow at Freedom Park. Yeah. Awesome. Would you think this book is a, is a perfect timing release in response to this climate of xenophobia, violence, of inhumane attitudes towards refugees? Yeah, I hope so. I, I, th- I do think the timing is really like kind of a pivotal one in terms of like, what are we going to do? Because, you know, yeah, I've definitely read the stuff that you've talked about in in South Africa and then in the U S in my home state, for example, um, you know, you have the governor shipping folks over to other cities. So basically not, you know, the, what the migrants are telling, um, the media and other folks is that they're not really being told where they're going to go. And then they're just bust or flown to another city. And, And so you can imagine just, you know, the people being used as political props, people being um, misled, sometimes people being kind of just moved around like cattle. Um, so it's happening all over the place. Um, and uh, and it's at the same time, the problem keeps getting worse and worse. So when I started writing the book in 2018, it was 25 million um, refugees, as you know, as shown in the book cover. And now it's uh, 30 plus million. Um, and there's climate refugees more and more. And so tens and tens of millions more projected. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's at this moment where there's more and more people who are fleeing home and need support, uh, which is kind of a failure of our global system in general that they have to even flee, you know, because of whatever it was that the conflict that we, you know, we allowed to happen or that some leader kind of created. Uh, and then the next failure is we're not welcoming people um, at the rate that we should be. And, you know, the U.S. Uh, dramatically declined over the last few years in their welcoming of refugees. Um, you know, only I think it's uh, less than 1% of refugees globally are resettled each year. Um, and so it's it needs this mindset shift of, wait a second, why are we, why do we default to thinking that these folks are a problem as opposed to an asset? And why are we defaulting to think that this isn't our problem instead of this is our moral kind of problem that we all agreed we would try to fix after World War II? Um, so yeah, I hope it's a helpful timing. Um, but you know, the more and more I do talks and things like that, the more I realize it needs to be on, on an onslaught of, you know, messaging and like um, campaigning to make it clear this, the narrative has gone completely the wrong, like incorrectly. Um, and uh, we need to set the record straight and um, hopefully that'll help people who are voters, people who are uh, in power, people who are um, policymakers and, and people in local communities too. Because what I have seen is uh, especially, you know, from my experience just in the U S locally often there's so much of a heart to help out and there's so much support but then when it abstracts out to like the political sphere it gets to be people start second guessing and they believe what they hear but locally it's it's very inspiring so um ideally people can have more of those local experiences and that it'll translate as well yeah i do agree as being a perfect time release of that book and so far, I feel like the attitude towards refugees, the foreigners, or migrants that are here, and also because of the politics involved, and people are afraid that there's people, there's people that are, are what they are portrayed in the media, political aspirants. Your book is like an example of kind of like creating a dialogue where people can actually like talk about all these issues and see that these are actually human beings who are just trying to be a successful, successful mm -hmm. self-actualized, like the way you are trying to aspire to be. So I, I mm -hmm. hope there's more of this book to be released in the future. And then a lot of people will be inspired by this book. And I want to ask what your advice is to entrepreneurs who are all over the world, who are refugees, who are trying to survive, be successful in their lands, that the lands are not similar to their own based on the responses and the kind of attitudes they get from people or the indigenous of those countries, how do we advise them to, to persevere, to be resilient and to kind of like overcome these obstacles to the development? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, in, it's amazing because um, as you said, so many obstacles um, that, you know, we can talk about and even without any advice, you know, they're kind of doing what they need to do because, and part of, you know, I talk about entrepreneurship, part of why, their refugees are 1.5 to two times more entrepreneurial is just, they're just more committed. They have no backup options. And so, um, you know, really they, they find ways no matter who's kind of helping or supporting. Um, but the main thing, if I could give any thoughts, uh, from what I've read and experienced through my work and interviewing people is, um, that there are local, usually local, people who are who are willing to help and institutions that are there to to support um it's just a matter of of 
trying to find them. Um, and it's, it's kind of our job to make it more apparent. And, you know, ideally every person who touches foot in the U S is provided with proper support to get their feet off, off the ground. Um, but or their life off the ground, but, uh, unfortunately that's not the case, but I do think, you know, there are enough people around who, who can help. So like in my hometown, there's YMCA center, there's other refugee resettlement centers that, um, are there to at least kind of, you know, provide that initial support. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully we can do a better job. I don't know that there's any advice I could give, but, um, yeah, I do think um, I have been, if, if there's one thing optimistic about this, aside from the refugees themselves, which are you know heroic, is I do think there is more of a local support than it seems often. Um, even people who have read my book have told me, you know, I was moved by it. So I tried to add, you know, bring a, a refugee from so-and-so uh, into my house. Um, and so I think there's there's more willingness to help than it seems from the politics. Um, just maybe once you get to the the host city or or whatever, um, hopefully there's some support there. Thank you for that advice and thank you for that um, perspective. Thank you for joining us to speak about your book and please do not forget to send us the link. Okay, perfect. Yeah, thank you so much. Cool. And um, hope to talk to you soon if more books are released. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, great to meet you. I you know I I stayed in Pretoria for like. Um, six or seven weeks a few years ago oh, yeah yeah i had a friend i actually stayed at university of pretoria because i had a friend there yeah i feel that my parents are from egypt and so they they had yeah. they went to england first and then the u.s and yeah their stories is, is difficult but yeah um once you break through it's really kind of beautiful all right thank you so much um andrew it was nice to see cool. you to meet you so. yeah you too yeah. thank you victoria Bye. it's victoria right yeah, victoria yeah victoria. okay yeah great to meet you yeah let me know if there's anything else i can do with you all it's a great yeah. organization yeah it is thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> okay Bye. you have just listened to the africa rights talk podcast i hope you've enjoyed this episode do not forget to subscribe to our youtube channels social media platforms such as twitter and instagram thank you for listening